You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. that all of you have come out this morning. Thank you for coming out and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, My name is Joe Francis, and I'm blessed to be one of your elders here at Elevation Community Church. Um, Thank you for, again, coming. Thank you, folks online, um, for watching wherever you're from. We know that you're from uh, local, but uh, there's a lot of people that are watching us um, long distance, too. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the new year, and it's kind of interesting, as uh, we, get in, we get into this on the, the um, slides, please. Oh, it's in the back, it's in the back of me. No, it's now side. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Can't find it. Okay. Um, this is an interesting time that we have, right? Because we've been prepping for, well, <laughs> my neighbor had their, their Halloween decorations out, like on September something. And then, and then the Christmas decorations went out on... I think it was November 1. And so we've been prepping for Christmas in our hearts for a long time, right? This couple of months ramp up, and we talk about the birth of Christ. We talk about Jesus. We we think about that. We, we, We worship him in our hearts and our minds. We read scripture. We have Advent wreaths. We have Christmas trees. We have our nativity sets, lots of things to remind us of Jesus during the Christmas season. But one week later, now we have this holiday called New Year's Day. And then there's a big celebration the night before. So we transition from Christmas to this happy New Year. And it doesn't in our culture, have a whole lot to do with Jesus. Has a whole lot to do with parties, which ain't bad. Has a whole lot to do with some football games, which really ain't bad. Or could be bad. Yeah, could be bad. But there's not a lot of Jesus in the Happy New Year. So we're going to transition or help us transition into this new year with a Happy New Year and kind of change it around. So when we talk about this, we talk about the new year, something that we do a lot of times is we have something that's called a New Year's resolution, right? New Year's resolution, next slide please. New Year's resolutions can go to us from like, I don't know, they last maybe what, 15 minutes to 15 days on an average. Um, So you have New Year's resolution. I resolve to do this. I resolve to do that. may have to do with our our diet, we may go on a diet, we may exercise more, maybe something that we want to do, we want to do more of. There's nothing stopping us, nothing stopping us from making a spiritual resolution in the new year. A resolution that we're going to get closer to God. Look at this verse. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things 
that are on earth. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you want a resolution that lasts, if you want a resolution that's going to lift you up, if you want a resolution that will be with you all year, not just 15 minutes or 15 days, think of a spiritual resolution. If we're to seek things that are above, if we're to set our minds on things that are above, one of the best ways to do that is to read Scripture. How do we know what is above if we don't know what's in our hands? What is in Scripture? So maybe make a resolution to say, I'm going to read Scripture every day. Now you say, whoa, how does that happen? One verse. Start with one verse. That's all it is. Just start small. One verse at a time. At the end of seven days, you're going to have read seven verses. At the end of 30 days, you're going to read 30 verses. Take it out to the end of the year. 365 verses. That's a lot of verses. Some of you read a lot more. You can read a chapter a day or a book a day, whatever you want to do. But make a resolution to get closer to God. So as we talk about this new year, it's a happy new year. And we say, happy new year, everybody. But we're going to, if you go to the next slide, please. Instead of Happy New Year, the five of us are going to talk about Year Happy New. We're going to reverse it up a little bit. We're going to confuse you, but we're going to clarify some things. So Year Happy New, and I'm going to turn it over to my brother Brian here, talk about the year. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're obviously very good at the English language. We put things in order, as you can tell. Um, but this concept of year when it was something that we wanted to talk about, and we looked in Scripture, and we look at Scripture about time. Um, what's fascinating about time is that God doesn't get constrained by time. God created it. He created the day and the night, the cycles. He created it for His glory. And we see that throughout Scripture. If we go to the next slide. And it is a concept that we understand even from just, you know, we wake up and we do things during the day. We know how significant years can be. We look back in time and we say, do you remember when? I have a lot of fond memories of the 80s, bad hairstyles and clothes, good music and all that kind of thing, right? Sometimes you hear the phrase, oh, I remember when and all of that, right? So time does have significance for us. But for God, he stands outside of that. He created that. And that concept in and of itself can lead you down a lot of rabbit trails of thought. How does this creator, who doesn't get constrained by this concept of time, work inside of it? Then constrain himself when he became a human being at one point. Which is, again, a whole other dialogue and a whole other sermon. But the reality is, if you look at this in Genesis, is anything too difficult for the Lord? No. He can work in and out of time as he see fit, because he created it. At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This is a reference to Abraham and Sarah, who were given a promise. A promise that they would have a child. A child who would be very significant, both in lineage and in promise from God about the Savior. So God is choosing to use these concepts of time to not only help bring glory to him and his purpose, but also to keep us on track. 
I need to get a planner really bad. Ask my wife. And um, so time management is one of those things that as human beings we're supposed to be able to be at least somewhat good at. But more importantly, what is the significance of God's promise? Why does he give us time and give us these years to remember? When we think back to when Jesus was born and what was the significance then, what was happening during that time. We think about history. We think about our own lives. I know some of us are good at remembering dates and some of us are not. Birthdays and anniversaries. Again, it has significance, right? But how is it for God's glory? Does it make us think about ourselves or does it make us think about him? Does it make us think about others? And so I was praying and asking God, like, what else should I reference in Scripture that would show the significance about this concept of time, about you, God? And Jesus comes to earth and he stands up in the middle of all these people in a synagogue and he reads from the book of a scroll of Isaiah. And it says, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The significance of year has nothing to do with a date has nothing to do with a specific cycle of the sun and the moon and all of that. Although all those things are beautiful and they are important. The significance is God made a promise. And this is when the promise became fulfilled. Because at the very end of the rest of that in Isaiah, because Jesus only read that first piece, announcing who he was and who he is, the significance of him showing up right then, that year, that time that God had set apart, at the very end, God continues to talk about how he's going to comfort everyone, how he's going to be there and establish the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. All of it in this new year for us, as Joe said, set apart something specific that you want to do to draw closer to God. Why? It's going to benefit you, of course. It's going to be valuable and you'll be blessed for it, but it's because he gets the glory. I'm alive, you're alive today. In 2023, as it ends, amidst chaos and craziness and whatever else in our lives and in this world, God is surprised by nothing. And he set apart this time for you to exist right now, to be sitting here, listening to what he has to say to you. Why you're important. What he wants you to accomplish for his glory in 2024. That's the significance of time and year. It's not a number. It's not a cycle of some celestial body. It's all because, because of him and for him. And that's what my prayer is for myself, for my family, for all of us, is as we go to 2024, what are we going to do for God's glory in this year? So. You, you, you baited me on something here. I am going to ask Mrs. Warwick the question, does he need a planner? Yes. Okay, all right. Do you know that today's date is one, two, three, one, two, three? Did that occur to you? One, two, three, one, two, three. What's that? We'll not be doing that. (laughs) Uh, I have the task of dealing with the word happy in New Year. Now, you know, our culture has its own perspective on the word happy. 
And uh, I'm going to shift your focus away from that to a different word in a minute. But examples would be, who used to watch Happy Days? You know, the idea was there's this perfect family, all goes well, all ends well, it's all happy, you know, and there's something about that image that everybody can live that dream of happy days. How about happy-go-lucky? You know, how about happy camper? You know, what's that mean? Happy camper. You know, things are going well. It's all circumstantial. Um, People who say, happy to meet you. Well, they may or may not be, but it seems like a polite thing to say, doesn't it, really? Happy to meet you. Um, you know, the end of most books, most romance novels, which, no, I don't read, would be, they lived what? Happily ever after. Yeah, so that word happy gets used in so many ways like that. Um, I think it's John Legend or someone has the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And then I guess the last one I would men- mention would be uh, every, every book should have a happy ending. This word happy really isn't really a biblical term. We want to shift our focus to the word joy. I would challenge you, instead of saying Happy New Year, say, have a joyous New Year. And and, in the light of what that word means, in its original uh, Greek, it means chara, and in Hebrew, it's samak. And in both cases there, it's a type of of experience that's completely non-circumstantial. In other words, it's something you choose to be joyful, to rejoice to be joyful. Listen to these few verses, and then I'll tell you what they have in common. Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy. 5112, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Again in Psalm 674, let the nations be glad and sing for joy For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Now, just so you don't think joy is just an Old Testament concept, let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, I'm abbreviating this a bit, Do not be afraid, for behold, behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Not happy. Matthew 5.12, rejoice and be glad, for, your, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Rejoice and be glad. And then in Jeremiah 33.11, there will be sounds of joy and gladness, so give thanks to the Lord for his enduring love. I pick one word out of all those verses that I think makes the difference in the word joy. And listen to what those words are. Refuge, sustain, sustain guide. Good news, reward, and enduring love. That's the substance of joy in our life. Um, You know, happiness comes and goes. I was happy just before breakfast this morning. I'm not sure by 9.30 if I was still happy. You know, it's a fleeting emotion, isn't it? What did I eat? Um, But joy is a decision. And as believers, I would like to plant the thought in your mind this morning that it's something that you can claim. And you can be joyful about your refuge, the uncompromised guidance that God gives us in our walk, and his enduring love. Those things don't change. They don't go away. And as a result, you can be joyful at all times. Say to people this week, if you can't remember it, don't say Happy New Year. Say, have a joyful New Year. And see if that sparked a conversation. So what is joy? I summarize it this way. It's an attitude we adopt not because of our circumstance, 
but because of our trust and confidence in God's promises. That's what we should do. And I, I read this, and I, I, I'm going to read it to you because I think it says it well, too. Um, certainly that joy, that kind of joy is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in you brings you God's presence, and that presence brings joy to your heart. His presence in your life gives no room for spiritual drowsiness and dryness. You can't be cast down when you know how to stir the joy of the Lord that's in your spirit. Would you claim the joy this week? Amen. Um, I have the word new, and I guess that's because I am chronologically the newest elder up here, so that makes sense. So, new is one of those words that's kind of hard to define because it's a word we use to define other words. We know how to use it, obviously, and we think as well as something, how do we know if something's new? Well, it's not old. Well, that doesn't really help us, Um, but I do like this definition up here. If something is new, it is recently produced by change. So, when we soak on what those words mean, we have to be changed in order to be new. And if we are if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And by this definition, we must have been changed. Sometimes we don't always feel different. But as I want to go into here in a little bit, we, we can't rely on our feelings. The first scripture I want to share with you is uh, from Ephesians. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, sometimes we read scripture and, you know, we've got a good grasp of the English language. We say, okay, well, I know what that means. But for me, I guess my brain's wired a little bit backwards. Sometimes I have to read things backwards in order for them to kind of really set in. So, yeah, we, we put on the new self. All right, well, what does that mean? Well... We were created in righteousness and the holiness of the truth of God. There is no truth that usurps God's truth. So if we were created in God's truth, that far surpasses any truth that we can comprehend here in this this secular world. So we put on that new self. Okay, well, there's some Christianese. Eric, what does it mean to put on the new self? I put on clean clothes every day. That's not the same thing. Let's go on to the next slide. I'm going to answer that question with more scripture because, you know, my understanding is feeble compared to God's ways and explanations. So this next scripture is the 40th Psalm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So when we think about putting on our new selves, that, according to this scripture, is he also putting a new song in my mouth. Well, Eric, I don't feel like singing today. We'll do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because this whole Christian experience isn't about getting dunked underwater and coming up and claiming to be a Christian, that is not the destination. That's the beginning of a journey, and that journey is a relationship. We are all in relationships here on earth, and I think 
that we could probably list some things that we need to do in order for that relationship to be healthy, those same parallels can be drawn in our relationship with Christ. We need to pursue Christ as we pursue some of the people here on earth. We need to pursue a relationship with them. We need to spend time with that person. Sometimes we're in earthly relationships and we don't feel like hanging out with that person. We don't feel like being nice to them. We don't feel like being loving to them. But aren't we supposed to anyway? Isn't that our obligation to do so? So you cannot rely on how you feel. You have to trust in how are we created? In God's truth. Be obedient to that truth. And sing songs of praise even when you don't feel like it. And when you are obedient to that, you'll be surprised how your heart changes. One more scripture I'd like to share with you. My favorite one for this morning. Um, This has been a really important one for me for the vast majority of this calendar year. It's from Mark 2. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. We're not talking about celebrating this evening with spirits. There's there's metaphors here. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, I don't know a lot about making wine. But what I do know is in the process of turning grape juice into wine, there's fermentation. And that fermentation releases gases. And in biblical times, when they would be making wine, they would put the juice into a wine skin and they would seal it. And as the fermentation occurred, it expands the new wine skins. And as the wine is created, the wine skin is also expanded. Okay? So if you consumed the wine out of that, what now is an old wine skin, and you're like, well, I'm just going to reuse this. No big deal. Well, you pour new wine into the, new, into the old wine skin, and you seal it up, that skin cannot expand anymore. Okay? It will burst, just as the Scriptures say Okay, what in the world does that have to do with today and us? Okay, we are wineskins, family. Okay, some of you are new wineskins, some of you are old wineskins. Some of you will be made into new wineskins again and again and again. And what I hope that you pursue in your relationship with Christ is that wherever you are is never your destination, that whatever your understanding, whatever is in you will be poured out and be refilled with new wine. But what scriptures say about being refilled with new wine? The old wineskin's got to be destroyed, okay? What is that first definition of the word new? Something had to have been changed, okay? Folks, my prayer is that you are constantly seeking for your old wineskin to be destroyed, for you to be constantly changed. Because God's got plans for you. He wants to pour new wine into you, and he's not going to do it into an old wineskin. I want to caution you as you pray into that in this new year. It's going to hurt. It's going to be scary. And men, you might even cry. (laughs) But it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing for your old wineskin to be destroyed because you know what's coming right after that. He's going to pour new wine into you. 
So I'm going to pray that for our congregation continuously this year, and I encourage you guys to pray that same thing. Guys, you want to go ahead and... The guys are going to get ready here and start passing out communion. Um, probably be a lot of rattling of paper, so to speak, with these cups, but that's okay. As we've been talking about, the, of course, looking forward to the new year, another um, term that or definition I want to apply to new is the word uh, or the phrase that new says, or the meaning of it is something that has not or has never existed before. Think about that. It's never existed before when something is new. You get a new car, you get a new house, you get a new whatever, and it's not existed before. It's totally new. Well, this morning as we go into this new year, another year that has not existed before, I want us to focus on something that was new or was instituted long ago, and it, it, in its time, it was new. And the new that I want us to look at this morning is the new covenant that was instituted when Jesus took the bread and the cup of wine, as he was celebrating an old system, he was ushering in a new covenant, a new system. We look at this in Luke chapter 22 and about verse 20, where Jesus, in the process, took a cup and he lifted up. And in this cup, of course, was the juice, was the wine. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant, a new agreement, a new, never existed before situation. And this was the cup he was going to drink of because he was the one, as we all know, was going to bring in this whole new covenant. He was going to usher it in. It had been long talked about, long prepared for, and long planned. Now, the word covenant, if you go a little deeper, it has to do with an agreement between two parties. A lot of times it's a legal agreement. You feel, fulfill one part of it, and the other party fulfills the other. But what was interesting about this particular covenant is that the person that was involved or the party that was involved was going to fulfill both ends, both sides. Because the covenant that was originally put in place in the old law, it was based on, hey, you do this, God will do this. But see, God understood and realized that none of us could keep it, no human being could keep it perfectly. So he had to have a plan in place to fulfill our end of it. And that's what's so amazing about it. Because by right, we needed to fulfill our end of it, but we couldn't. And as a result of us not being able to, there was a curse. There was a curse put upon all of us. And sometimes, so many years later, we forget this. We forget the reality that we were destined to be doomed, not only in, in flesh, but in spirit as well. And eternally separated from God 
Because a covenant involves relationship. It involves, again, an agreement between two parties. But what God did with the covenant, he took it deeper into this relationship of love. There was both a certain legality of this covenant as well as a love relationship. Now, when Jesus was with his disciples, when he was there at this last meal together as they were celebrating the Passover, which they, being Jewish, would have understood what it all meant. It was said that there were probably not just one cup there, but probably four and maybe even five cups. Because if you look back in the Seder meal and the Passover meal, there were cups that they partook of, and each of them represented different things. They represented judgment. They represented provision. They represented justification and sanctification. And there was one cup that was representative of redemption, probably the third or fourth cup. And it was said it was probably that cup that Jesus lifted up and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Now, there was also said to be a fifth cup. We read about that in the book of Jeremiah, where there was the cup that was the cup of wrath. And that cup was always kept there, but never did anyone drink from it. Now, I don't know, but it's possible that Jesus may have drank from that cup because he took all the wrath of all of us that was destined for us on himself and fulfilling that covenant for us. And so it is a new thing, a new, whole new beginning. When he was doing this, I imagine a lot of the followers are like scratching their head just at least a little bit. What's, this, what's he doing here? What's going on? out of respect and reverence and closeness and relationship that he had with, that these guys had with Jesus, they didn't question it. They learned, they followed. And of course, later on, we see in Scripture through inspiration, the truth of all of this came out. Peter, Paul, and others who wrote the Scriptures that we have today made the connection, brought it together. And so when we partake of this communion this morning together, I want us to think of a new, a new covenant being fulfilled. And it still continues to be fulfilled in our lives. It's new every day, new every morning. In Lamentations chapter 3, about verse 22, 23, or thereabouts, the writer who is Jeremiah in this short little book of a lot of sadness and sorrow and crying and being upset. He has this section here about 22 or 23 and following for about four or five verses where he has a bright spot of, hey, there are mercies that are new every morning. That word mercies is just not a mercy of showing mercy because you're showing forgiveness towards someone, but it's, it's a mercy, mercy that, that goes beyond that. It has reference to this idea of this new covenant, this covenant relationship where we would be forever forgiven. And as it applies to us today, 
we can look at this idea of that as even as we're going into a new year where it's just a turn of the calendar and a new number pops up on our calendars, as already indicated, it's just a we've made it around the sun another time. Let's change the number. But each and every day and every moment can be new, even in the challenges, the difficulties, the hardships, which we all experience. And those are significant to us, but the most significant issue that we have to, do is, have to deal with is our sinfulness. It has to do with those things that continuously break that covenant with God, but He's always saying, my mercies, my forgiveness is new and new and new every morning. And it motivates us to continue living our lives for Him, though we may not do it perfectly. And He understood that. Because He came in and fulfilled that responsibility for us. All we have to do is just accept it. And I know that sounds easy, but for some people, it's hard to accept it. It's hard for them to really receive that that blessing. Because for some crazy reason, we constantly can't get past our own guilt, our own shame, our own mistakes sometimes. But I want us to be encouraged today. And as we take of this cup, and as we take of this, this bread this morning together, I want us to be reminded as that's what it's meant to do. To remind us. to remind us that His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy is new every day. And it will continue to be new. And as a result of that, it will hopefully touch our hearts. As Jeremiah pointed out about this new covenant that was going to come, this new thing when when the old law would pass away and a new law would come where it would be written on our hearts. In other words, through what Jesus was going to do and what he did should encourage us through, his, through the love that he has for us. It should touch our hearts in such a way that we, though we cannot live a life perfectly, we want to live a life for him. We want to put sin out of our lives as best as we can. But when we fall short, and we do, and we will, His mercies will be new every day for us. And all of this was just such a beautiful picture as He took the cup, lifted it up, and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the cup of the blood which He was going to shed, along with the bread that was going, that represented the body that He gave and was torn to pieces on the cross. So please Today, go ahead and open up your cups. Just have them ready. Open up another kind of little, little tricky sometimes. Take a few moments to do that. Just hold it there for a little bit. I don't want us just to, just to go through this. It's just like I'm up here saying, do it, take it. But I want you to think what it's all about. But let's pray and give him the glory for this.
Father God, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the bread that represents the body of your son Jesus. Father God, we thank you for the cup of the juice, the wine that represents the blood that was given. Father, help us to be mindful of you right now. Help us to take away all thoughts, all concerns, all worries, and just truly, as already been said before in this worship, to be focused on you. Focused on you and what you did and how much you loved us, how much you embraced us, how much you died for us, how much pain you took on, and then you took on the curse of sin, God, through Jesus. Father, help us to embrace this reality and may it motivate us, not only today in this moment, but as we continue on through life. And Father, may we... May we celebrate this with you more and more often, God. May we be reminded of you more and more and all that you have done. Please, God, thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for a new system. Thank you for fulfilling it. Thank you for fulfilling both ends of the covenant that was originally set. And Father, may we accept it. May we accept it in faith. May we trust you. May we trust your forgiveness. May we trust your love. May we trust all of who you are and may it motivate us to be people and to be changed. As was said about newness, is there's a change and may this reality change us more and more with joy, not just happiness, with joy that comes deep within us. And as we go forward, God, into the new, new year, a new turning of the clock, a new turning of the calendar, May this day and this day forward remind us of how new you have made us and how amazing you are. God, we love you and we praise you. And so we offer this time, we offer this time of communion to you in trust and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.